first lesson, there were 32 Mr. Farrows all, all delivering <laughs> their own version of the lesson. Uh, not, not good, bad, not, not easy. I, this didn't happen in my school, uh, I'd hasten to add. I hope to keep teaching open as an option to me in the, in the future. Hello, and welcome to Freelance Pod. My name's Achandrika, and I'll be your host. So this episode is not even just comedy-themed, it's live, one-hour show-themed. <laughs> I'm speaking to Alex Farrow, who's a comedian, director and teacher. And we really get into detail about putting together a live show, writing scripts, learning it, all that kind of stuff. So Alex has taken his most recent show, which is called Philosophy Pig, down to the Brighton Fringe at the moment. I think he's there right now, and then he's going on tour with that. But usually he is based in Oxford, where he's the MC at the Jericho Comedy Club. And that is a brilliant comedy club. They've got some amazing events on this summer. And I'll put links to Alex's work and to Jericho Comedy in the show notes so you can check it all out. As for me, when you're hearing the episode, he gives me some advice on putting together my show and how to learn the script and so on. Advice which I'm taking. I have almost finished the script. It is nearly there. And I have started learning it as well. And I've got some slides and I've got a playlist. So it's not all just me standing there talking for an hour, which would be a lot. Um, so I feel like it's coming together and I do feel good about it. I've got a week now and I will be doing some Zoom run-throughs with trusted people before I get to Brighton. And yeah, it's uh, something I'm looking forward to. It's about time. I need to get it done. Um, but yes, links for tickets um, for the Brighton Fringe and for Camden Fringe will be in the show notes as well so you can get tickets for my shows too and uh, yeah that's all from me let's see what Alex has to say oh things I've got coming up um, I've got an hour I've got a new hour my new hour is called um, Philosophy Pig <laughs> it is um, an introduction to um, different philosophy problems using animals as a starting point it is uh, uh, I've got some stuff on pigs. I've got some stuff on horseshoe crabs. I've got some stuff on bats. Um, I was going to ask about bats, yeah. Oh, well, of course, yeah. I say, I mean, I, I got really into bats for a few <laughs> months last year. Um, and, uh, yeah, I did a little outside gig when the Rule of Six came in. I think I was, I, I believe I was the first uh, comedy gig of <laughs> 2021. Chortle, yeah, get, got, got to get in the chortle. Got to do gotta it. get in the news. <laughs> How was yeah. that? Was that fun? Oh, it was really fun. It was really, really, really fun. Um, I mean, I, I, we were all itching to get back and doing it. And there's, and there's nothing like the timing. It's nothing like doing a 3D gig. <laughs> Did the bats perform gig. as you hoped? The there were bats, so I did time it correctly. The bats That's come out of hibernation in March, and so there were there were bats. I mean, you can't like bat watching is quite a hard thing to do. Um, <laughs> they're, they're pretty hard to see. You need to sort of listen to bats. You can get this kind of bat listening device, which um, I'm not going to go into the detail of bats. Which is why I asked you on this podcast today for nuggets like. <laughs> yeah, indeed, it's, it's difficult. I, 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 I want to talk about bats all of a sudden now. Like bats, if you put up a bat box. Um, in the UK, uh, you might think, oh, that's a great thing to do. A it bat then becomes box. a bat box, yeah. What is uh, a bat box? Is it like a, a bird box, house? A bat box is like a bird box, right? Okay. And so we, we put up bird boxes. We're great in the UK for looking after the birds. <laughs> do you ever put up a bat box? 
No, you bloody don't. Birds you... have never been blamed. They have been blamed for a pandemic, actually. They, they have. They have actually. <laughs> what is it with airborne creatures? There's an answer to that. So oh. one of the reasons that airborne <laughs> creatures um, carry viruses, one of the reasons that uh, COVID, we think, is given uh, bats of things like COVID and Ebola, is their bodies run really hot. Um, they're much less susceptible to viruses than um, some land-based creatures because the metabolism has to run so high because the metabolism runs so high it denatures lots of viruses this is all um, on the speculative side of science we know that bats are very resistant to viruses and why one theory is that it's to do with flight flight means that um, your body runs hot when you get a fever when you get a fever with something like covid or the flu it is your body defending itself it is your body getting hot to make it inhospitable to the uh, virus. One bit of advice um, a medical professional gave me was that if you are fighting off a virus, you don't necessarily always want to be taking things like paracetamol because it lowers your fever. Um, again, never take advice from somebody on a podcast about being freelance. Always speak to your own personal <laughs> medical professional. I mean, I've got this whole, um, I suppose I should probably write some sort of book about uh, this, the use of humour within uh, teaching and its relationship with like learning. I often mm-hmm. say to people, there's a really tight relationship between the ha ha moment and the aha moment. That moment of like realization. If so, if a punchline is a sudden realization that oh, that you led me astray and now I understand. Like good learning, good lecturing, good teaching, good presentation of any information should have that aha moment. And if you can get that moment, you're really close to getting a a, a laugh as well. Post-pandemic, everything's changed. We used to run in this tiny cafe. Um, really want to go back. It's my favourite place to do it. We used to raise money for Oxford Remind every Saturday downstairs at the Jericho Cafe. Um, yeah, one of the one of the best things uh, I've ever done. Over the, like, the years, it's managed to raise uh, just under £100,000. Isn't that mad? That is a lot uh, of money. When, when did you get that space? The space downstairs, 2015, okay. uh, July. And so it's, you know, a few years we've been yeah. doing it. Um, like it'll, it was always, it was expanding. In 2019, it was regularly expanding outside of that space. We'd sort of mm. double room. And so we had another cafe, Common Ground. Um, mm. It's a pun on coffee. Uh, sort of 200 metres down the road and we'd make the acts at the halftime bell, like run <laughs> between venues. Something I picked up from Angel, Angel Comedy in, in London. Great people find them if you're in London, um, that you can have two spaces. One of the great things, as I'm sure you know about stand-up night, is when it's like a thronging room, when it's really buzzy, you get that kind of group effect, uh, laughter that rolls and continues. Uh, It's really like, it's really nothing like it. Um, In the pandemic, you know, I did, you know, I ran drive-in gigs and stuff like that. That was quite, uh, the excitement in that was the novelty of it. I don't think drive-in shows will be like the future of stand-up. Nobody, it's just another screen to be behind afterwards. I feel like people are quite happy to give them up and not have to do them again. Yeah, I mean, if you, if it's an outdoor gig and you're kind of sitting on the car or something like that, I mean, it's there might well be some hangover that. I suspect outdoor gigs will be something, outdoor stand-up shows will be something that uh, probably stays for a couple of summers at least, I think. I think audience have always wanted to see stand-up outdoors, but stand-ups know it's quite hard to do <laughs> gigs outdoors. Because of what the laughter like disappears into the air. 
So one, yeah, you don't get that roll effect. You don't get, you don't listen to other people's laughter. It, it kind of disappears. You also kind of need walls. I know this is a really mad thing to say. I've been kind of approaching venues and stuff like that. And they're like, oh yeah, we've got this big field. I'm like, can we like wall the sides of it or whatever? People sort of disperse out. People naturally don't want to be uh, too close to somebody else. But the more dispersed the audience is, the, the less of a collective that you feel. And like a good stand-up comedy set, uh, particularly good emceeing, will make a group of people feel like one. Um, and they move as one, they laugh as one. Uh, you, you, you know, not to get too spiritual about it, but you kind of lose yourself within the, within the group. Um, and when you see really effective comedians, they're doing all the kind of techniques that a good preacher will do, that all sorts of like crowd manipulators have done for all throughout our history for making people feel as a singular unit. Um, and comedians are noble human beings because they turn that power to making people laugh rather than like rally and march. All the conditions for laughter in a group are the same conditions for contagious disease. I mean, catching. well, yeah, uh, you, you talk about like uh, laughter in so many of the sort of the language of like disease. I mean, I mean, so this is slightly changing it, but even like wanting to go viral and stuff like that, it's a, it's inherently like a collective thing, uh, which is very, very frustrating. Comedy is all about timing. And you, we were all suddenly given this device that really randomly just chooses to time itself. I mean, it m makes it so, so, so hard. I was quite reluctant, as we personally, and with the club, to go to use Zoom in uh, just to just to deliver stand up, largely for that reason. Um, and so, the first thing my club did with the internet was uh, more of a game show type of thing. Um, and so, it was all about like. Uh, on a Friday or Saturday night, setting like challenges for like an audience. Um, you go into your room, like record them. So we had, I don't know, like some of the Jericho comedy regulars, like doing uh, scenes from movies and stuff like that. So we had like loads of people being alien and uh, just being like kind of creative. And so that was really, really fun. Um, and uh, that, it was unusual. I don't, didn't actually really see anybody else doing that. Um, it was very labor intensive, both while doing it to be responding through the chat to what people were doing and to like keep coming up with games really did feel like being a school teacher trying to find a new way for everybody to learn. But I was really uh, proud about that. The Jericho Comedy Game Show as a, like a creative enterprise. Did you take things that you learned from teaching? Like how old were the kids you're teaching? Predominantly 16 to 18. So in the UK, mm. it's called sixth form or year 12 and year 13. And so... Are you taking lessons from the, your day job and applying it to comedy and vice versa in terms of like how you do it over Zoom? Yeah, always have done. And so um, like good Zoom principles for a gig is you want to be able to... You, wanna, you, need, you need feedback, right? Mm. Good teaching. I'm sure if there's any teachers listening, it's, it's all about feedback. If you're not getting feedback or delivering feedback you're not teaching you're like lecturing um and so it's exactly the same with a good like a zoom gig and so you need to get that audience feedback somehow otherwise you're literally just shouting into the abyss and so i've emceed quite a few uh zoom shows and you want to make people feel comfortable uh so that they turn the cameras on so that they're genuinely properly like interacting I've seen some shows where it sparks and it's magic and it really works and you get really close to that genuine live experience. And I've seen other shows um, where it's just not come together for whatever reason. You've not 
got you've got people watching television rather than watching a, a, a live thing um and it can fall a bit flat sometimes the other risk with zoom gigs is over feedback and so because you've got um a direct channel to the stand-up that you can be actually overloaded i mean i i was watching ivo graham at a gig very funny stand-up and like He's really good with interaction, but people were like asking him about stuff in his house, and like you know, he was responding to it. It quickly devolved from stand up into like a very witty because it's Ivo Graham, but definitely him describing the things in his house. Um, and you, you want to, and it's exactly the same with teaching as well. Your students will try and like derail the lesson. It's funny, it's really funny to derail a lesson. I re- respect the children for wanting to do that, but you can't do that and you can't let them do it if you're a teacher or if you're a stand-up. You need to allow enough feedback such that your students or audience feel engaged, but not so much that you end up talking about the wallpaper. Um, and do so you think that- the class clown in your classes have had to really learn new tricks this year to derail your lessons well it's almost the opposite in the sense that it's so easy now to be a a class clown um because you you, lots of classes were done with the uh the camera off Uh, different schools had different uh policies on it and so i mean it's like having um the ring of power from lord of the rings you're invisible right there's no there's no longer consequences for for what you do um like plato's got this whole story about this invisible ring right where he writes this relatively actually boring um but like very memorable story about how this person finds this invisible ring it's what the lord of the rings invisible thing is based on and he says i challenge anybody to find this invisible ring and not be tempted to do evil we gave thousands of children this year the invisible ring and they were they were naughty they were they were bad not only and you think oh alex well what about what about their zoom names you can change that can't you You can change your zoom name oh i was there were first lesson there were 32 mr pharaohs all all delivering <laughs> their own version of the lesson uh not not good bad not not easy i this didn't happen in my school uh i'd hasten to add i hope to keep teaching open as an option to me in the in the future I mean, so some of the year nines at my friend's school were just inviting randos from the street into their maths lessons. I mean, it's a funny thing to do. It's very funny. I mean, I would definitely do it. I mean, it's pandemic on, the world's ending. Why not invite some some street randos onto Zoom? Um, and so you've, as the class clown, you've not had to try harder. See, everyone's a class clown now. Yeah, and that kind of correlates with comedy in terms of like anyone with a social media account and a front-facing camera could give it a go it's not necessarily Mm. a bad thing it kind of opens up to people who aren't in big cities who Mm. didn't have a great open mic circuit before who was scared but actually have talent and so yeah you had all these people trying trying it out who were bored and were just like oh let's give it a go and I feel like this is new kind of um shorthand on my spare, like how you do this front facing videos and how you do this and how you do that and it's like comedy has been digitized like really quickly almost scarily quickly so yeah i think i mean so the the digital world is what we've seen is one of the nicer things about it that it's it's, it's still very very open i mean 
we could talk about the the future of whether that will continue to be the case. But I mean, it really does blow things open. I mean, well before I started comedy, like it was really difficult to start, very, very, very difficult to start as a stand-up comic. Um, but what the internet did was it allowed you to Google where the clubs were. I mean, I mean, I know this sounds like the medieval period, but I mean, I, colleagues of you know who were going longer than me would talk about how you had to call a particular club on a Tuesday, ask, can I come on? And if they didn't reply, you'd have to wait a month. There weren't many gigs. It was hard to find them. There wasn't like, you couldn't Google it. They weren't always in the yellow pages. If you had one in your town, great. As you mentioned, if you lived in like the countryside, well, good luck doing that to the cows. Do you know what I mean? Um, What the pandemic has done as well is once things went online and people had a bit of time on their hands again it's very it's very democratic as you say literally anybody i say that i don't want to be i don't want to sound too privileged yes because you have to have an internet connection not everybody has an internet connection turns out was a basic human right (laughs) who who thought who would have have thought that it would matter who would have thought that it should be treated like a utility Jacob Hawley, very funny comedian. Seek out his content. Jacob Hawley on love, uh, on drugs. He's got this uh, themed uh, radio podcast and he put his most recent, I was going to call it an hour, but I believe it was under an hour in the edit um, on uh, Radio 4. And he, I've often uh, been a, like a, I'm trying to find the right word, uh, I like to think of myself as an outside eye with somebody like Jacob. It's about drawing out the ideas already present in somebody like Jacob's stand-up, ordering them, adding in a couple of extra tags and making sure that his voice is like super clear and funny. I think we all benefit from having somebody to bounce ideas off. Um, and I did it uh, formally in his most recent BBC special, but I've been doing that for, doing that for a long time with Jacob. There used to be a real, um, uh, certainly in the UK, a bit of a stigma around stand-ups having any outside involvement at any point uh, <laughs> with the craft, which I think probably makes anybody in any other industry seem mad. We all had to be the strictest of strict singer-songwriters, um, whereas now I think perhaps because of the influence of theatre, people are more accepting of having a director, um, and so a director is about. Uh, normally about ordering and drawing out things that are already there. Most television shows, if uh, who have a stand-up on, will will have a writer. Um, yeah, and it's one of those things you don't have to like use what the writer gives. It's not like it's not you're you're not a scripter. You don't script what the person does, but you write for somebody in somebody's voice, and they'll tweak it and they'll change it and they'll use it and they'll make it theirs again if they're doing the job right. Um, but there's still enormous stigma around that and so sometimes the term comedy director is a euphemism for like writer and i wonder whether that euphemism will change as time goes on because they're genuinely different things Uh, i don't want to conflate words too much but uh status is often tied to a similar concept of being insider or outsider and i think that is the primary like persona distinction in, in, in comedy and indeed in like I don't know, all sorts of other jobs as well like are you an insider or you're an outsider if you're an insider uh in comedy terms you're often the straight man which is often um 
relatively high status. You are intelligent and normal, and it is the world that is absurd. If you're an outsider, it's the reverse. You are the absurd thing. You are the weirdo, and it is the world that is that is normal. And so working out which one of those is more closely your, like, voice, I think is so, so, like, in, important for comedy performance. I mean, I mean, some people don't need or benefit from the theory. Their, like, their stage persona is so close to their, like, everyday persona. Mm. I always think that these people, they're like, oh, I, you know, I'm not a performer, but I am good on stage. And it's like, mm, yeah, I just think you're probably day-to-day being a performer. You've probably crafted this, like, persona from necessity that, you, you know, your family home, you needed to be, like, the funny one to smooth the fights between your parents or, or whatever the armchair psychology mm. is. Like, everybody's got a persona and some people have been working hard on it every day because that was useful for them in in life and when they walk on stage it's done uh, mm-hmm. it's rare that people are done like that um and I, it's common to say oh it takes you know it takes 10 years to find your voice and stand up oh it takes 10 years i don't know where these numbers come from i don't remember any academic doing <laughs> any research on it but people often say it's 10 years however long it is the norm is to that it takes time, that it takes time to find out like who you are to a group of strangers on stage. Mm. Um, that's one of the, it's one of the really intoxicating things about it as a thing to do that is like, uh, you learn stuff about yourself. People love learning about themselves. They love it. People think that they want to learn about, Oh, I want to learn about how to do comedy and they leave a comedy course. And it's like, Oh, it's great fun. I really enjoyed it. It's like, well, I think you learned about yourself and you really enjoyed that. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Definitely looking for people to uh, direct. Like, I love it. Um, if you want to know what your relationship to an audience is, where, like, where you stand in the power spectrum, uh, like, who you, like, are within that space, I'd oh, love to help you with it. It could be that you watch people doing previews. It could be that you uh, sit with people for a read-through. Um, you can do a lot of it cold. You can do a lot of it through a script. A surprisingly large number of stand-ups don't write a script, which always um, always amazes me how many people say, oh, I've just got this mean, idea. Like for an hour? For an hour, yeah, yeah, for an hour. How closely would you write a script, though? Because obviously not many people could memorise an hour's worth. Interesting. So there's, really, there's, completely, there's completely different approaches to it. Um, I personally, I memorise a script and then I unlearn it. And so... Uh, that includes for doing a five-minute set or doing an hour. Um, I memorise a script pretty exactly, like word for word. I've picked those words to be hilarious words. If you add too many words in, sometimes it destroys a punchline. Mm. Not everybody works like this. Often it becomes too scripted. And so that's what I mean when I say you have to unlearn it again. Sometimes it can be too much like putting the tape player like on. And so, But in order to change your set, on the fly, on the on the hoof, as you go along, I find that if you've not learnt it word for word, it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, but that said, lots of people, and it's about 50-50, this 50-50 people who write out a script and pretty much learn it word for word, and then the other half of people are like, yeah, I've been doing this joke, and I'll be like, where, where is this joke? And the word will be cake. And I'll be like, you wanna, do you want to talk to me about the cake stuff? 
um, and like people's whole hour is just one sheet of paper with twenty words on it. Well, I couldn't um, do that either. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to write a script, but I won't. I won't be able to memorize it. You'd be so. Uh, the, the the school teaching me is coming out now. Um, everybody can do it. Uh, it is. Uh, I promise. I promise everybody uh, can do it. And there's there's all sorts of like school teacher techniques for helping with that. Um, some of them are really boring. Um, I know this is. I people don't believe me when I say this. You, you've got to write it out. Yep, the number of do. people who won't learn their five minute set and they're like, oh yeah, I was I was revising it. It's like my students at school. Oh, I was revising it. It's like, did you did you copy it out? No, you didn't. You didn't memorize it. You didn't like. You didn't learn it. Um, some people don't need to write stuff out. There's other ways to do it. But like, if you're struggling to memorize something, you've got to look at it. Cover it up, right out again. You can definitely do it. Some very successful stand-ups won't ever write it out, ever. And the reason they don't do that is an ideological one. They wouldn't call it that. It's a theory one. That they need it to be loose. Josh Widdicombe, for example, talked about how he would only ever write out the punchline, but the way he gets to it would always be semi-improvised or uh, naturally spoken. Um, he said a couple of years ago that he stopped doing that now and he started writing out word for word, which I think is interesting. But um, but it it's not the only way to do it, just because I think that it's so useful. I think lots of stand-ups think they're doing it uh, when they improvise and don't write it down. They think they're doing it because they want to keep it loose, but they're just lazy. And so that's why I get so um, <laughs> this is so forceful about it. Yeah. Make sure you're choosing to not learn it, which is a choice, a perfectly reasonable choice, but make sure it is a chosen choice. How long ago did you start writing the show you're going to take around the country now? I, the bit about horseshoe crabs is a couple of years old, but I did. It's a classic. It's a, it's a classic. I wrote that for a gig about bacteria <laughs> in the Natural History Museum. And so... Uh, I've made that about, it's kind of about the vaccine now. It, horseshoe crab blood is used in um, part of the vaccine process. So I've got a bit about horseshoe crabs. The bit about bats I started in January. Um, the bit about pigs I started this month. No, April. Um, and then, so that's about 30 minutes of comedy. I've not, I want to do something about dogs as well. Um, and that, is entirely unwritten. <laughs> um, so I've got a really solid 30 minutes. Um, and what I tend to do at the preview stage is I will um, reuse material from different shows. So mm -hmm. the overarching structure um, of this particular show kind of uh, is little micro lessons. That is the structure. Mm -hmm. um, and I haven't got to any overarching narrative as such yet that's got to take um, time to get to hasn't it often i mean people often say when they're doing something like the edinburgh fringe they only realize the narrative structure of their show like halfway through and it clicks them or whatever mm. um my last show um i only really realized the structure of it in that in the last month before doing it and then my own note about my previous show was it would have been good to telegraph the narrative more to people it was all about um this is the problem with like telegraphing it it was a, <clears throat> a 
about religious conflict and how philosophy is the answer to religious conflict, which isn't very funny when you say it like that. But actually, I think in stand-up, you kind of have to do a bit of explication sometimes, uh, which is frustrating uh, because it's such a fast medium as well and because it's full of like funnies. If you have a meaningful message about the power of philosophy to overcome deep conflict, like you, you got to tell people that's kind of what it was about. Mm. Otherwise, people will leave and go, "Ah, oh, well, that was full of loads of funny stories about teaching philosophy. What was it about? You got to tell people that, which is mm. one of my learning lessons, which I probably could have learned had I got myself a director, but I didn't get myself a director when I should do. So one of the things I would recommend to people is just because you do your job, whether that's being a teacher or a journalist, you've always got to be getting an, an outside eye on it you always need to be getting somebody else you always need to keep learning and you, you're never finished um perhaps there was a form of arrogance on my part it would have been so simple just to get somebody in and be like yeah that's you need to tell people what this is about three bits of advice tell people uh that you know what you're doing and get them to help you if you're a teacher get other teachers to help you you're never finished keep learning um specialization in the time of the internet um, it's probably not too niche, whatever your interest is, whether it's a writing interest, whether it's selling stamps on Etsy, I don't know, whatever it is, um, there's huge advantages to finding your people and giving them your thing. Um, ooh. Number three is subvert the rule of three. <laughs> Just have two, uh, it's fine. <laughs> subvert, um, subvert people's expectations. And so um, that, you, you probably know, is the art of comedy, subverting people's expectations, whether that's breaking a rule of three or not. But I think it's also the foundation of being interesting. You take somebody's expectations and you break it. If you watch any TED talk, right, they're often structured such that you're given an ex an expectation about the world and then your speaker tells you ah it's not like this you give somebody a framework to latch onto first and you subvert it it's what makes things interesting it's what makes things memorable if i read out a list of numbers now i could read out a list of 20 numbers now and do it but you probably wouldn't remember the order of them whereas if i told you a story i could tell you a much longer story you have expectations about what that looks like what that feels like You'd remember it even more if I related it directly to you, if you already had an explanation of an expectation of what was going on. If you subvert people's expectations, it's what changes something from being unmemorable to memorable. And the subversion is what makes it interesting. If you tell people what they already expect, it's boring. If you tell something to people when they've got no expectation at all, they're, they're not interested. You change people's minds get them interested by subverting an expectation well thanks so much to alex farrow for joining me on the podcast and coming up with such great advice and so much insight into what it takes to put together a live show and into comedy in a digital age <laughs>